Good afternoon. Thank you for joining me for Business, The Law and You. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in our program, we'll be looking at a Harbour Business Review tip, and this particular one is to invest your energy more wisely. We're also having a chat with uh, Christina, and we're going to be talking about six tips for improving emotional, emotional intelligence in your workplace but right now we're going to have a chat with greg adams and just a little bit about greg he is a 30-year veteran of fire and rescue new south wales retiring with the rank of chief superintendent and now is the general manager of the workplace emergency safety group and we can have a chat about requirements relating to workplace emergencies good afternoon greg uh, good afternoon, Julian. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. So, so we've always had to manage workplace risks, but why the requirement to manage workplace emergencies? If we, if we take a little step back, uh, the principal work health and safety law in New South Wales consists of both the Work Health and Safety Act of 2011 and the Work Health and Safety Regulations of 2011. And these, this legislation applies to all New South Wales workplaces. Simplistically, I suppose you could say, whilst there's a lot more in it, it was basically about uh, preventing and minimising injury and harm to workers and the responsibilities of both businesses and workers to uphold that. But changes to the legislation came about in 2011, not only because of work health and safety harmonisation, but also because of serious events that occurred that that caused injury and death. This brought attention to the need for a workplace to have the capability to deal with those emergencies, hence why it's now more important. So, so what does the legislation require? Basically, because the Work Health and Safety Act um, talks about a, require, a requirement, oh, pardon me, <coughs> um, for duty of care and responsibility in the management of risk, um, but it, below that is the regulations uh, and section 40 or regulation 43 of the regulations basically states that anybody that's conducting a business or undertaking, and that can be industry, uh, a business, small or large, a company, a sole trader or even a not-for-profit organisation, that they must ensure that their emergency plans in place so that the workplace is provided for and this will cover such things as emergency procedures, testing of those emergency procedures and supplying information, training and instruction to relevant workers in relation to implementing those emergency procedures. So, so how do we know that we are satisfying this legislation? Uh, yeah, that, that's where it's, it's difficult and where most people are, are unsure about things. The legislation is only one layer. Uh, the legislation itself refers to a code of practice which is managing the work environment facilities and that provides guidance in achieving um, the required standard for, of health and safety. Um, in this case, the code of practice is approved under, under the Work Health and Safety Act which makes it, uh, I suppose, a degree binding. Uh, and in most cases, following an approved code of practice would achieve compliance with the health and safety duties espoused in the Act. The, the codes of practice in that sense are admissible in court uh, proceedings under the Act and regulations. So a court may regard a code of practice of, as evidence of what is known about a hazard and what should be done in trying to uh, manage that, that hazard and what's reasonably practicable in the circumstances. By that I mean, what can an employer do that is reason, 
reasonably practicable to reduce the likelihood or harm of an emergency, what the person could reasonably know, uh, whether they've got the available resources, and even whether the cost is grossly disproportionate to the risk. So there's a number of factors that it can look at to satisfy the legislation. You don't have to follow the code of practice, but what you put in place must be of equal or higher standard. And uh, uh, I believe the Australian standards are relevant as well. Yes, that's, that's right. There, there are a couple of standards, but the most important one is Australian Standard 3745, which is planning for emergencies and facilities. This um, drills down even further to what's stated in the Code of Practice. And like a Code of Practice, though, it's not legally binding unless referenced in legislation. Um, but an Australian standard of various types have been referenced in court proceedings previously and in some cases are considered uh, as being best practice. But the standard covers many things, but the core elements are, again, assessing those hazards and risks and developing procedures out of those risks to manage emergencies, having a warden structure, training of those wardens, uh, yearly evacuation exercises and evacuation diagrams. For all of these, there are certain boxes that need to be ticked. Um, for instance, emergency procedures manuals should should contain certain elements, such as how to deal with a site-specific emergency. Your di evacuation diagrams must have certain information and um, symbols included. Both of those, the procedures manuals and evacuation diagrams, are valid for five years. Your wardens need to be trained twice per annum, and each workplace is required to undertake one evacuation exercise per year. Uh, if you're a healthcare facilities, not facility, not only does AS3745 apply, but also Australian Standard 4083. Um, and then many workplaces have licensing and accreditation requirements that are directly linked to the legislation, a code of practice or standard. Basically meaning that if you're not compliant, you don't operate. operate. So we can see from this brief discussion that there's a lot of information and work that needs to go into managing safety in the workplace. Yeah, I know there's a lot of uh, organisations have got their little charts on the wall, but I don't know about the, uh, the practice every year. What are the main issues preventing workplaces from being safer and compliant? I think the main thing is many people, whether they're managers or owners, are not exactly aware of this side of the legislation. It's essentially, I suppose, being still being thought of as more about slips and trips and that sort of thing. Mm. I mean, sadly, there are also those people that choose to run the risk. Mm. I think the main thing is a lot of people don't know what they don't know. Um, there are those that think they're up to speed but may be falling short. Uh, and an example of that might be a large warehouse that's got hand-drawn evacuation diagrams that aren't marked with the correct symbols and may even be pointing people that are evacuating in the wrong direction. The worst thing is there are significant penalties besides the obvious risk to, to life and property, but there are significant penalties if convicted, yet the cost of getting it right is really only minor by comparison. So the solution? I would urge every business owner um, to have a look at the Work Health and Safety Act and re regulations to read the Code of Practice and the Australian Standard and try to determine if you're fulfilling your requirements. The Work Health and Safety legislation and Code of Practice are freely available on the internet, uh, and, but if you want a copy of the Australian Standard or the full document, you'll have to pay for that. 
but you will find guides or outlines on the internet as well. The main thing is, if you don't understand something, believe you need assistance or just want to find out if you've got everything covered in your workplace in terms of safety and compliance, you need to contact a reputable service provider that has the knowledge, experience and expertise to help. Great. Well, thanks for your time, Greg, and explaining that to us. And I hope uh, a lot of our people will run out and do their practising. Excellent. Thank you very much for your time, Julian. Thank you. Bye-bye. Greg, uh, Greg Adams there from Workplace Emergency Safety Group helping us to appreciate the uh, importance of those em- uh, practising particularly those workplace emergencies. Time to have a chat with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you? I'm well, and you're in sunny Sydney or wet Sydney? Oh, it's, it's neither sunny nor wet. It's <laughs> a bit cloudy. Uh, it's a bit cool, but yeah, at least it's not raining. So six tips for improving our emotional intelligence in our workplace. Yeah, so we're realising more and more each day how emotional intelligence is even more important to a workplace. So we we talk about culture all the time, but it's more important to a workplace um, even than IQ. So the intelligence quotient that we we used to think was all important. Emotional intelligence is uh, is coming to its fore, I guess. Uh, And so six tips I thought we might talk about, six important things around emotional intelligence. The first one being compassion. Mm. So if if we're, you know, and compassion kind of extends out in many different ways. You know, it goes up the chain, down the chain to clients. And, you know, it kind of encompasses what uh, Branson says. You know, first of all, keep your employees happy because then they'll keep uh, your customers happy. So. Yeah, so it kind of filters down in many different ways. If you, you need to be, and compassion doesn't mean that you have to give in all the time or, you know, it just means that you have to look at things with an empathic nature and, and find out where the source of different emotions are coming from. So we often talk about, you know, emotions come from two places. They either come from love or fear. So compassion allows you to have a look at that without making judgment, uh, but also with a clear head. So compassion is number one. The second thing is gratitude. So we hear a lot of things about um, how gratitude is good for you as an individual, but it's also good for an organisation. So if we can actually practice, you know, there's lots of talk around gratitude journals, and one of the habits of top entrepreneurs is to actually keep a gratitude journal. It's actually not a bad habit for everybody to get into, Julian. So Mm. gratitude, showing gratitude to each other, you know, to a colleague that might do a small favour, to the person that stacks the dishwasher in in the kitchen of the office, small little gratuitous things to, to say thank you to people, a lolly on a desk, mm. you know, a piece of fruit on a desk. So very simple things that can that can show that we are grateful for our colleagues, for our clients, for our managers, you know, even for the CEO. Sometimes being a CEO is the most thankless job. Mm. Yeah. Um, so forgiveness would be point number three. Uh, and, and it's approaching everything, um, I guess, from the humbleness of forgiveness and not the arrogance of I'm always right. So forgiveness is, a, is one of the seven virtues, I think, um, that, that make for a happy workplace. Because if you know that, that the intent is forgiveness, you're not going to go on the defensive. You're not going to go front foot out ready for a fight. Uh, and, it, and it means that your voice will be listened to. So if there's a, an attitude of forgiveness around um, the workplace, people aren't scared to admit that potentially they've, you know, they might have mucked something up or, you know, I will keep coming back to Blue Chili's, you know, Golden Cock Award every every month that, you know, if you make a mistake or if you have the, the dumbest idea of the month, they reward you um, in some way. So forgiveness is kind of having that. It's not being scared to go, hey, you know, 
I, this, is, this is something, yeah, this, this is something that, that didn't go quite right and um, how do we all get out of this situation? So how are we going for time, Julian? Do we call up and... We've got one minute, so why don't we just mention the other three port titles okay. and then we'll discuss them next week. Uh, we shall. Okay, so the next important thing is having a vision. So the whole organisation needs to be on board with the same, the same forward vision, same forward projection... We need to have an idea of what a good day looks like in the office. You know, what, what, how many tasks might that be to get done? Um, what does it mean for accomplishment? What does it mean? So a, a perfect day is also where you get to show the compassion, the gratitude, the forgiveness, talk about the vision. So what does a perfect day look like? And then the, the sixth thing that we'll talk about next week is support. What kind of support is there um, in each organisation? And how do we emotionally support our colleagues and our, you know, and our clients? Great. Well, thanks very much for your time, Christina. Have a good day in Sydney and we'll have a chat with you again next week. Look forward to it, Julian. You have a great week too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Christina there. In, you can hear her in Sydney in the background. Six tips for improving emotional intelligence. We'll come back and look at a couple of those uh, next week and we'll be back in a moment after we've heard from Vanessa Williams and Save the Best for Last. I don't know whether we saved the best for last. I hope the whole show has been useful for us. But uh, let's have a look at a Harvard Business Review tip, and this one's to invest your energy more wisely. Most of us operate at full tilt with little energy to spare, so we need to be strategic about where we put our energy so that we apply it to what matters most. And here's how to start. First of all, track your energy. Set your phone to beep at a random time to prompt you to notice how you're spending your energy. Secondly, know what matters. Figure out what brings the most value and joy to your life. Thirdly, plan wise energy investment. Once you know which things matter most, schedule as many of them in your calendar as possible. Fourth, plan where not to invest. Once you become more aware of where you're putting your energy, you'll notice which activities are pointless energy drains. And finally, don't overthink it. It can be as easy as pulling yourself out of a useful, useless conversation, not responding to a silly email, or letting go of a nagging thought. There's a little pause there because our energy is very valuable to us, particularly when we're in business. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, we've looked at the importance of those uh, workplace emergency uh, procedures and particularly practising them, I think. As, uh, I think a lot of us have those pictures up in our, in our workplaces as to what to do, but no one really practises them sometimes. We've had a look at a couple of tips for improving our emotional intelligence in the workplace. And in a moment, John Slaven will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to talk about the laws relating to data safety in your business with Larry Wilson from Wilson Data, data Systems. We'll chat about innovation or those emotional intelligence points with Christina and have some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for business, the law and you, at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as William Shakespeare once wrote, our doubts are traitors and make us lose the good we often might win by fearing to attempt it. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>